Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. And I said, I only have a translation of the Bible in my hands. My Bible is only a translation. It isn't the Bible. We call it the Bible. The Bible was written in Greek. We have a translation of the Bible in English. And I said, in the Greek manuscripts, do you realize the word huios, which means son, is not there? And I showed him on my computer. I, I said, here's the Greek manuscript. Show me where huios is. And they didn't even know Greek. And I said, the problem is that you guys are translating the Bible based on your theology, not based on what God's Word says. You believe that Jesus is a created being, so therefore you have to insert the word son with his son's own blood, but it doesn't say that. In the original manuscripts, it says that God purchased the church with his own blood. When you saw Jesus up there dying on the cross, that was God. So the Trinity we speak of as three persons, right? And he opens up with the Logos, with the Word, which he unfolds to be Jesus Christ because he wants you to know that before we even get into creation, when we talk about the difficult things in the Bible, creation, when we talk about atonement, salvation, that you need to know who this is. And when he says Logos, he's grabbing the hearts of the Jewish people and he's grabbing the hearts of the Greek philosophers of that day, the Greek mindset of that day, and says, let me tell you who this Logos is. Where Plato would say that it's just the mind that has done all this and orders the universe and everything else. Let me tell you who that mind is. Let me tell you who that Logos is. In the beginning was the word Logos and Logos was with God, and Logos was God. And then verse 14, and Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. Creation has to start there. You have to start by understanding that Jesus created. Now people have a problem with this because they tell me that when Jesus is not God, that Jesus can still create. And that's not true. God's the only one that can create out of nothing. So look at his power in creation. Look at verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Everything was created through Jesus. There was nothing that was not created. So when we talk about creation, he says everything. He first says in a positive way, and he says in a negative way, if there's any question in your mind, he says everything was created by him, and there was nothing that was created without him. So Colossians 1.16 says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Now look at Colossians for a minute. Just watch that. All things, right? The scripture doesn't stop there, though. It says in heaven and earth. It isn't just all things. We're talking heaven 
and earth. That covers the gamut. That covers the gamut. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on to say visible and invisible. That's pretty complete too. But the scripture doesn't stop there either. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And then the cherry on the top. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus was the agent of creation. I know that that may be a little bit, well, who created? Was it Jesus or was it the Father? Now, look again with me. All things were made through him and without him, not anything made that was made. You need to see that. No, nothing invisible, nothing visible. He just doesn't say everything was made through Jesus, that Jesus created everything. But he also says that nothing was created without Jesus. So he couldn't be a part of creation so now he gets into thrones, dominions, principalities, and all of that other stuff. Well, what was Jesus' role in creation then? What was his role in creation? Well, it's like this sanctuary, right? We could say ROC Construction built it, right? When you would drive by the street, you would see ROC Construction, and they were the contractor that actually built this building, right? He's here today, by the way. I didn't know he was going to be here, but he's here today. So thank you, Bobby, for building this. And so, so we could say ROC Construction built this, but it didn't happen with him just coming in and swinging a hammer. He didn't just come in one day and start building and put a door over here and a stairs over here and that in his own mind. No, there was an architect involved. There was an architect involved that had the plans, and Bobby was the contractor who was following the plans, and he was the one, he was the agent that was building the auditorium, but it didn't happen without an architect. He couldn't have done it without an architect. He's not even an architect himself. But neither could have happened without either one, and that's what we look at creation. The father could have been the architect, but Jesus was the agent. And it was his power in creation. There was nothing that was built that was not there. Romans 11.36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever." Amen. So whenever you see these all things, it means all things, especially in John's chapter 1. When he speaks of all things, there's no article in the Greek there. It just says ponta. Ponta means all. But if there was an article there, it would only mean present. But when you look at no article there, ponta in the Greek means all things from beginning to end. That's what it means. It covers everything. So we look at this and we say, Jesus, thank you for creating. Thank you for when I look out there and I see all of the beauty of creation, I can't help but think of my Savior too, right? So Jesus' position over creation is important as well because where does Jesus set now with creation? When we talk about him ruling, when we talk about him reigning, is Jesus really ruling and reigning? So it, Jesus possesses absolute authority over all the creation, he possesses absolute authority. Matthew 28, 18, in Jesus' own words, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Colossians 1, 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, there's a couple guys in our church that witness at the mall. They go out, they'll share their faith at Walmart, and they've been in dialogue with Mormons over there at the mall. They go to the mall twice a week, and the Mormons use this verse as saying that, see, firstborn over creation, that he was the first of God's creation, because they don't want to acknowledge the Trinity. And that's not what that means. 
In both Jewish and Greek culture, that was a title of honor. And what that meant, firstborn, was not, in this context, chronology, but it meant priority, that he has authority over all creation. And the proof of that is, when you look in the Old Testament, you see the birth of Jacob and Esau. It acknowledges Jacob as the firstborn, even though Esau was born before him. Because Jacob was the one who was inheriting it. It was a covenant that would go through him. So when we look at firstborn over creation, that has nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing to do with Jesus being created. It has to do with his position over creation, that he's ruling and reigning. In Hebrews 1, 2, it says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Through Jesus. It is the power of Jesus in creation. The Father may have been the architect. And that's where you have to see Jesus' involvement here. Let there be light. Let there be light. The Word of God created. The Word of God created. In Jesus' authority, we see it in that He sustains all things. He's just not over all things, but He sustains all things. Colossians 1.17 says, And He is before all things, and Him all things hold together. So that's why scientists can't figure out what holds the atom together. Because when you look at an atom, the electrons, neutrons, and protons that are there, they should repel from one another, not stick together. So they come up with terms like atomic glue, but they can't fully explain it. Right? But here it tells us that all things are held together from him. See his power? See his authority in this? It's absolutely amazing. In Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. By the word of his power. I mean, think about that. That's speaking of Jesus there in Hebrews, that he really does hold all things together. Really does hold all things together. So Jesus possesses all authority over creation, but he also exercises his authority over creation. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, we see where he exercises his authority over the spiritual world. In Mark's Gospel, we see Jesus going into a synagogue, and there's a man that's demon-possessed, and Jesus casts the demon out. And here's the account of that. Mark 1, verse 24 to 27. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? This is the demon speaking. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. So Mark picks up on this theme before, right? We often think of the gospel. Mark is the gospel with the long passion. Passion comes from the Latin meaning suffering. So in chapter 8 all the way to the end speaks of Jesus' suffering. So half of Mark's gospel is dealing with the suffering of Christ, but the first half is dealing with his authority as God. And that's why in chapter 2, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders are saying, man, who can forgive sins except God alone when Jesus told the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. 
So then in Mark's gospel, he not only exercises his authority over the spiritual world. In all the gospels, you see him casting out demons, devils, things like that. Jesus was never in a wrestling match with them. He was never in a wrestling match with the demons. They actually shuddered at him. And so he didn't just have his authority or exercise his authority over the spiritual world, but he also exercised his authority over the natural world, over the natural creation. We know of winds, we know of rains and things like that. And so we see in Mark's gospel chapter four, when he controls the storm, the disciples are in the boat, the storm comes up, the waves are coming. They think they're going to die. Jesus was asleep and he wakes up and here's what happens in Verse 37, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. It was filling up with water. They were going to sink. And then Jesus gets up and here's what he says. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? See that? Not just spiritual world obeys Jesus, but also the natural world. Because he's creator. He's got that authority. The one who created has the authority. And so we also see him exercising his authority over the physical world. He exercises his authority over the spiritual world, exercises his authority over the natural world, and he exercises his authority over the physical world world. We see this in the accounts in the Gospels when there's people that are following Jesus, thousands of people, and all of a sudden they get hungry, and Jesus' disciples want to go buy them some food. And Jesus says, wait a minute, what do you have there? Some little boy has a couple fish, five loaves of bread, and it says that Jesus says, have them all sit down, I'm going to feed them. And they all sit down, and they broke up in groups of 50 and 100, and out of two fish and five loaves of bread, it says that 5,000 people were fed. I don't know about you, but if on one of our Thanksgiving feeds, if Rudy James came to me and said, we're out of food and there's a line of people all the way around the block and people just kept dishing out potatoes and dishing out turkey and things like that, I'd be amazed at Rudy. Because who does that? Who multiplies? Who calls things out that don't even exist? God does. And Jesus continually displaying his acts in creation. He's continually displaying his authority over people and over the rest of his creation. I mean, people would come to him and a leper would get healed. Right? Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. Leper, that was a death sentence in that day. They were shipped to a leper camp. They were isolated from the culture People wouldn't go around them. They would live many times in caves and things like that. And they were ostracized from the culture and they were left there to die because the leprosy was going to eat them and kill them. It was the AIDS of their day. It was the AIDS of their day. And Jesus goes in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, after he casts out the demon, after he's healing everybody's sick. Mark, it says the next morning, he touches a leper and nobody touched a leper. That was unclean for anyone to touch a leper, but Jesus touches him. And he's healed, and it says his fame went out everywhere. Why? Because even though the Jews had laws, if a leper was healed, it was unheard of in that day. They had the laws, but they didn't have the healings. And so Jesus shows his 
authority, his power over creation. He shows his, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And all things were created through him. And nothing was created without him. And he proved that all through his ministry. All through his ministry. Now, the thing is we live in a fallen world, right? We know, we read the Gospels and we wish everything would happen the way Jesus, we read Jesus' story, we'd say, man, I wish things happened this way where Jesus just came in and people, lepers were all restored, lepers were all healed. Uh, the woman with the issue of blood, bleeding, says she spent everything she had on doctors. I wish all that would happen. And it does at times. Because Jesus is restoring his creation. I want you to see this. Because this is the important part of the message. When we look at what does this all mean for you and I today, we have to look at Jesus not only created, and creation didn't just fall, but we also know that Jesus is restoring creation. He makes all things new. Jesus makes all things new. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, this is Jesus. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And in the Old Testament, the climax of the Old Testament is the Messianic reign. It foreshadows the thousand-year reign where things are going to be reversed, where things are going to be totally restored on earth. But the climax of the Old Testament is eternal heavens. It is the restoration of everything eternal. So in Jesus' life here on earth, he gave us a glimpse. He gave us a glimpse of all the things that were going to become new. For instance, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 30, it says, Great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, they glorified the God of Israel. So as he, we talk about Jesus restoring, he began this, right? Isaiah chapter 35 was a prophecy concerning the millennial reign. It says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer in the tongue of the mute, sing for joy for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Isaiah prophesied about a time where everything would be restored. That included the mute being healed. That include the lame leaping. That include lepers being healed. And when Jesus shows up, what does he do? He does all of those things. Why? Because Jesus is giving us a preview of what it looks like in the restored creation. Cameron and I, you know what? When Cameron was growing up, he wanted to see these Marvel movies. And, you know, I... I went with him just to be a father at first. Then I got into him and start watching. But it, there came a point where we would even go before the opening day. Like the movie's coming out on Friday. And so we would go on a Thursday at midnight. We, one time we stood in line in San Diego at midnight. And I'm thinking, man, I'm getting too old for this. I mean, I used to be able to go for days without even sleeping. And now it's like... Man, I, you know, it's getting late for me. You know what he would do? When, whenever the previews would come out, he would come and he would show me the previews. And those previews would only build anticipation in my heart. That's what movie previews are supposed to do. They take the most action-filled scenes. They take the music and they make 
a movie preview so that it makes you want to go see the movie, right? How many of you have seen a movie without seeing the preview? And how many of you have gone to the movie simply because you saw the preview? The preview was doing what it was designed to do. It was to get you excited about going and seeing the movie. When Jesus showed up and he started healing people and he started commanding the weather, the wind to stop, every act of miracle that he did was to give us a preview that there's a day coming that everything is going to be restored. Everything. We see in his life that there's this issue of Jesus coming and restoring creation because creation was devastated. There's going to be a day where sickness will even be banished, where there will be nobody lame, there will be no defects. And he showed that by healing people to the fullest. And that's why when we see people today that are healed, we praise God for it. God never stopped healing. God still heals today. So I want you to see something in John's gospel as we close, begin to close. Jesus' resurrection is what actually initiates universal restoration. Turn to John chapter 19. I want you to see this because John's the only one that records this fact in the Bible. And John's main purpose in writing his gospel was to get you to see who Jesus was. That you would believe that Jesus Christ, Christ being anointed one, the Greek form of Messiah in the Old Testament, that he would get you to see this as the Son of God. Not just at the beginning of creation that he was with God, but that he was God. And through all of this in John's gospel, we begin to see the restoration act of Jesus Christ like the blind man. In John's gospel, chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man. And the guy says, I don't know. I don't know what happened. All I know is I was blind and now I see. And you see these impossible acts, but they're all glimpses of what Jesus is going to do in final restoration. And so in John's Gospel, chapter 19, we read in verse 41. Now the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. John is the only writer of the Gospels that says Jesus was crucified and his tomb was in a garden. Now remember in John chapter 1, he opens up the Gospel, in the beginning was the Word. He's taking you back to Genesis chapter 1, where in the beginning God created. Now, he's the one who writes down, the only gospel writer that says that Jesus' tomb was in a garden. Why does he do that? Because that brings us back to the other important garden in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They give in to temptation. They disobey God, and sin enters in. And at that point, death, destruction, and devastation came upon God's creation. Because what's going to happen at this tomb in the garden? On the third day, Jesus is going to stand up and walk out of the tomb. 
Now listen to me. In the first garden, death conquered life, but in the second garden, life conquered death. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley, with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the ccciv.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.